Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Landlord and Tenant Podmess, the only podcast that has the balls to ask the question, can a landlord and tenant be buddies? Hi, everybody. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Landlord James. And I am your other host. My name is Tenant Michael. That's right. And if you haven't listened to the podcast before, um, I am the totally real landlord of a rundown rat-infested apartment building. And I am James's totally real tenant. That's right. And we don't really like each other. We don't. In fact, we're always at each other's throats, you know, like two, uh, two siblings who just can't get along. But this show is a way for us to work out our differences in a public forum. That's right. Also, we chose this premise three years ago, and for whatever reason, it's too late to change it. That's right. It's too, it, would be, it would be too confusing. Uh, but in the meantime, each week, we talk about our crazy lives, we discuss current events, and we have stimulating discussions with very funny guests from the worlds of uh, music, comedy, and uh, beyond. That's right. What? But to be honest, I mean, that's what we, we decided to say here. Yeah. But has it really been beyond? I mean, we haven't had any astronauts on or... No, no. astronauts yet. Fitness we- gurus. No fitness gurus. We have had a famous comic book artist on and a uh, oh, yeah. broadcaster. Yeah, okay. So beyond in two instances. To infinity and beyond. <laughs> Mike, how's it going? How uh, how are you doing today, Mike? I'm all right. You know, um, uh, it's a, another sunny yet smoky, uh, uh, ominously smoky day here in Toronto. And it seems that the... Uh, Smoke from the West Coast has once again drifted uh, into the GTA and blocked out our sun. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, but you're, but correct me if I'm wrong, Mike, but you are, aren't you allergic to, to sunlight or you, you're usually very pale anyway, so I just kind of assume that. So this must be no, great no, no, for I'm, you. No, I'm not. No, that's a common mistake people make with me. I'm actually not allergic to the sun. I just, uh, I, I avoid it. And so that's why I'm so very pale. Uh, when I was a kid, they used to call me all sorts of nicknames because of how pale I was. Let me see if I can remember them. Um, they used to call me Piece of Paper. Um, <laughs> they to, no, they did. They used to call me um, Glass of Milk. Okay. Um, what else did they call me? <clears throat> oh, they used These to call are me. Si- Go ahead. Oh, Freshly Painted uh, Wall. <laughs> yeah. Are, are you enjoying the uh, sort of uh, ominous sky? Not really, because, you know, I'm the opposite of you. I'm Mr. Tan. I'm probably the biggest tan yes. enthusiast in the Canadian podcasting community. I mean, I'm always out there, oiled yeah. up, speedo, little goggles, you know. Um, Sometimes I see you when you're uh, sunbathing, and I have to do a double take, because I think, is that is that Sir Tom Jones, or is that James Hartnett? Because <laughs> Tom Jones is known for being very tanned as well. Have you seen pictures of him with his very tanned face? I don't know, actually. I should look that up. I mean, I think I get the general idea of tan Tom Jones. You know, the master of being tanned, I feel like, is, gotta, is George Hamilton, right? I mean, that was his, George like, Hamilton. brand, no? Yeah. Also, he was like, back in, like, I'm the, the guy 70s. who is tanned. Yeah, that was on his business card. In the 70s, <laughs> I think Richard Dawson, the host of Family Feud, was also uh, a tanned star. He, didn't he get in trouble for being a big creep? 
Well, he he did things you couldn't get away with today. Uh, I see. He, he kissed like all of the female contestants right in front of their husbands and sons uh, on Family Feud. <laughs> uh, he cocked every man who was ever on Family Feud. Um, and he also, he did eventually, he married a former contestant. And there's like an episode where you can see him like just introducing the family and like he sort of like makes a big show of being taken with this woman's beauty and then eventually he actually married her. So with all his sort of pervy kissing to the contestants, at least maybe he did have the intention to marry all of them. It wasn't, you know, yeah, just total. He had too much love. Yeah. Um, I never watched Family Feud when he was the host. I kind of entered my Family Feud prime watching uh, time of my life when I don't forget the guy's name. Who was the guy who was sort of short and blonde? What was the name? Ray Combs. Yes, Ray Combs. That's right. I'm surprised you knew yes. that. He was my, like, you know, initiation into Family Feud. And then I think it went yeah. from Ray to Louis Anderson. So what was the progression? Because there was Ray Combs. Uh, you never forget your first Feud host, by the way. <laughs> uh, there was Ray Combs. Then I know there was Louis. And then there was Al from Home Improvement. Did Louis? Yes. Be- okay. He- I've got the list here. Okay. okay, so we got Richard Dawson, 76 to 85. Creepy time. Ray Combs, 88 to 94. And then I, Dawson came back, didn't he? That's right. Then Dawson came back for a year. What a burn on uh, Ray Combs. Yeah. I didn't really well, he, like Ray Combs. I'm just going to go he, out and say uh, that. He, his life ended tragically. Oh, no, did it? <laughs> I, was, I shouldn't yes. laugh. What happened? He uh, took his own life. But Ray Combs uh, was gone, and then Richard Dawson came back to cheer up America. (laughs) Oh, God. I didn't know that about Ray. Well, I take it back. He was very good. Uh, 99 to 02 was Larry Anderson. Yeah. Okay, survey says. Uh, 02 to 06, Al from Home Improvement. Yes. Gotta be the worst game show host of all time. Now, may I say, I don't think that... um, Louis or Al from Home Improvement, I don't think their kissing game was very strong with the contestants. I don't think they were allowed to it at that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not sure. I, it's hard to imagine Louis being like, welcome to the feud, and then sort of Frenching yeah. somebody. <laughs> uh, um, 06 to 10. Do you remember who was the host from 2006 to 2010? So that's before Steve Harvey. It would yeah. be, um, was it? Uh, I'll give you a Captain clue. If you Sully want. Sullenberger, who performed <laughs> the miracle on the Hudson. No, who was it? No, I'll give you a clue. From 2006 to 2010, this was the host of uh, Family Feud. Elaine, Elaine, come into my office. <laughs> I've got Jerry something Seinfeld. to tell you. It was who was the actor who played Jay Peterman? What was his real name? John O'Hurley. John O'Hurley, a nice Irish-American actor. I have no memory of him hosting that game show. No. Anyway. That is wild. Yeah, he did it for four years, and then Steve Harvey, 2010 to present. Wow. That's an impressive list. If you could choose any game show host in the history of game shows to kiss you, uh, and I will answer this question as well, who would it be? Wow. Think about That's it. That's a really, really good question. Mm. Did you ever watch Supermarket Sweep? <laughs> yes, I did. The host of that, I remember thinking, was a handsome dude. I don't know his name. 
But he was like, you know, just sort of a classic, handsome, clean-cut dude. Right. I think I would pick <laughs> current-day Pat Sajak. Current-day Pat Sajak, yeah. 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 While well, Vanna like looked that. on. Yeah. While Vanna watched. Yeah. Um, um, we took a little trip down memory little, lane there. Yeah, great little run there we didn't expect to do about uh, game shows. Yeah. This is why people listen. Yeah, and if you are uh, just checking out our show for the first time, you can expect more of this kind of scintillating, <laughs> off-the-cuff conversation. <laughs> Now, Mike, um, there was something in the news you were saying you wanted to talk about. Yes, I feel very strongly about this. And uh, longtime listeners of the show will know that I'm something of a news junkie. I'm always uh, uh, sniffing out uh, the latest headlines like a bloodhound on the trail of a psycho murderer. And um, something caught my eye today. There was a video on Twitter, uh, of course... The late uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the uh, Supreme Court Justice, is lying in state at the U.S. Capitol building. It's very sad. Um, People are upset about this. We don't know what's going to happen with the next appointee. But there was a video of her. You know how she was famously uh, kind of a gym rat? She was always exercising in that documentary (laughs) they made about her. She's lifting little weights and doing some push-up type things. Uh, Yeah, I think she she was a, uh, uh, a guest host on The Biggest Loser Yes, yes. She kind of come in and show them how to do crunches. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) She was our generation's Susan Powder. Does that make sense? Yes, it really does. Or Tony Little. Anyway. (laughs) Well, there was a uh, a video of people coming up to the coffin, paying their respects. And there's like two like U.S. Marshals looking very imposing in their, you know, military regalia. And uh, this man comes up in a suit and he's wearing a face mask. And he is, uh, it's Bryant Johnson is his name, and he was Ruth Bader Ginsburg's personal trainer, and as he's, he walks up to the coffin, and very solemnly, sort of like slowly, gets down on his hands and knees, and he does three push-ups in front of her coffin. Yeah. I saw that. That's it. I mean, I admire his confidence. You gotta really feel, like, confident about yourself to do uh to do really push-ups in front of anyone's coffin but especially one that's sort of a very famous public figure (laughs) well i guess that's his way of all he knows is you know pumping and uh yeah uh lifting and stuff so that's his way of of uh i guess uh, saluting her in a in the way that like a military person would you know salute a coffin (laughs) he's doing push-ups in front of it yeah, it's kind of impressive. I mean, I feel like there would be different connotations depending on whose coffin you did push-ups in front of. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like if you did it in front of, like, you know, your 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 dad's coffin or something, it would kind of almost be, like, more of a vibe of, like, I'm you didn't think I was tough enough, Dad! Look at me now! But I guess for, yeah. for Ruth, it was respectful. Well, I think I think it is. And I think, you know, people are laughing at it, but I do, I do agree with you. It was respectful. I'm just, uh, I'm impressed by his choice of exercise right because this guy knows exercises you know a to z and he mm. chose to do push-ups they're simple they don't require equipment because it would have been awkward if he had you know walked up mournfully to her coffin and had like a you know a barbell and then laid down on the ground did some like <laughs> chest presses or like yeah. you know that machine where you open and close your legs yeah, <laughs> yeah he pull he brings like on a on wheels a machine where you sit and open and close your legs like a thigh master. 
Yeah. Just paying my respects. Uh, uh, feel the burn. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was interesting that a man did that. Because, yeah, it takes real cojones to do that. Maybe it'll spark a trend and, like, you know, more people will go up to, to Ruth Ruth Bader Ginsburg's um, place of rest and, yeah, do 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 push-ups, do squats. Maybe, how about this? The RBG push-up plank. challenge. <laughs> You could, yeah, who, yeah, whoever can do the most push-ups or plank the longest in front of her coffin wins yeah. uh, a car or something. Becomes the next Supreme Court judge. I actually love that idea. I feel like you found, you found another uh, funny, weird <laughs> thing you were going to talk about. Well, this is a lighter, on a lighter note. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't involve anyone passing away. I, uh, as a kid, I was a huge Ninja Turtles fan, like I'm sure a lot of our listeners were. Maybe you were as well. Were you? Uh, uh, to some degree. You know, I, I dabbled. You dabbled in the turts. Okay. I did. Well, I don't know how I discovered this, but doing some, uh, some online research this week, I learned something I never knew before about the Ninja Turtles, that in uh, for the 2013 animated series, none other than Roseanne Barr did the voice of the famous character Krang. That's wild. Now, so Krang was the was the brain guy. Like he was. It was the brain. So it's. I, I should clarify. It wasn't the the original Krang that we grew up okay. with, which was the brain in the middle, like the middle of torso of the guy or whatever. This is yeah. a character called Krang Prime, who was like the original Krang, like a more powerful female Krang. Okay. Wow. Not who I would have expected to voice <laughs> this sort of uh, brain uh, villain creature. Interesting. What was the original voice? It was like, oh, ninja turtle. like he had a very yeah, wet I voice, it like that. I guess it's not too far from Roseanne's voice. I mean, that's that's true. But I wonder if when she, I haven't gone back and watched the. Roseanne Barr, Ninja Turtle cartoon, but I wonder if she infused the character of Krang Prime with any of her, you know, famous political views, you know? <laughs> if she was ever like, Donatello, Leonardo, you guys are part of the Islamo rape pedo culture. <laughs> Which I believe she did tweet about that, right? You're she not did just tweet. making that up. Yeah, or she, she yeah, be- she might be like, you know, um, the Clinton, uh, Chelsea Clinton married George Soros's nephew, which she also has tweeted. She doesn't like George Soros. Vaccines cause autism, Donatello. <laughs> Leave me alone. I'm ha- trying to have a totally tubular pizza party, man. <laughs> what gives, Krang? <laughs> God, Krang, Krang needs a comeback. Krang needs to be brought back into popular culture because it is, you know, you look at him and it sticks in your head. Yeah. I bet you anyone who even saw a glimpse of the Ninja Turtle cartoon when they were a kid will know exactly. You don't you forget Krang. Forget, you never forget yeah. such a such a bizarre sight. <laughs> <laughs> oh. God. 
Listeners, before we continue on and get to our amazing guest this week, we'd just like to take this opportunity to remind you, if you enjoy what you're hearing week after week, um, we do have a Patreon account. You can find us at patreon.com slash landlordtenant. And every penny you, you can muster up, we truly appreciate. It really helps us keep doing this show. That's right. And we uh, they get bonus episodes, the people who do the Patreon. And even if you can't do that, uh, which is totally fine, if you could rate and review us or tweet the show, retweet the, the episodes if you like it. Mention and I guess us if to you your don't, friends. Yeah. And I guess if you don't like it, just forget all about it. And, you know, don't tweet about it or, or listen. Just live your life. Live your life. Live your life. So, Mike, um, before we get to our guest, we we do have uh, one more uh, little report to to play for the listeners here. We certainly do. Um, for the past few weeks, our uh, former guest and good friend of the show and ace reporter Bryn Potty has been uh, he's been on the ground in Lunenburg, Nova Scotia, out there on the east coast of Canada. Uh, because there is a mayoral election happening on October 17th. It's John Risser versus John McGee. And, you know, when you think of a small town like Lunenburg, you probably would have thought, you know, oh, snooze fest, nothing much is going on. But you would be wrong. That's right. That's right. Uh, and thanks to Bryn's amazing reporting over the last few episodes, uh, we know that what's happening in Lunenburg is absolutely insane. You know, we're talking burning churches. We're talking wild horses kicking in fast food restaurant windows. We're talking uh, men masturbating in chapters bookstores, <laughs> which that, Bryn got into. When Bryn told us the story of the man masturbating in a chapters uh, getting a nickname, that uh, I felt like my blood turned to ice. You know, I feel like like the way we promo that is is you know when you you're on a web page and there's like. This will, you know, when you find out what, uh, you know, uh, Cindy Crawford looks like now, it'll blow you away. Well, when you find out what the guy who got caught masturbating in Chapter's nickname is, it will blow you away, folks. Truly. It's, uh, and this is also material you won't hear anywhere else. We have this exclusive beat on uh, the Lunenburg mayoral race. And uh, I guess without any further ado, let's roll Bryn's latest report. Hello again, James and Michael. Hello again, listeners. It's Bryn Potty here again with another update on the race for Lunenburg mayor between John McGee and Matt Risser. Because last week I did a profile on John McGee, it's only fair that this week I do one on Matt Risser. And in all honesty, I've been dreading having to do this one because uh, he is the most boring man I have ever met. And I don't know how I'm going to make this interesting. I tried to make it seem interesting by teasing that his nickname was Mustard. And then when I found out why... He wore a yellow coat. It just highlighted what a dull man he is. So his basic bio is everybody thinks he's so smart and uh, he moved away for school. And I think he got kind of disillusioned out in Ontario um, and then moved home. So he kind of, you know, did what I'm doing before it was cool. And uh, he's just kind of lived with his parents and not had a job except for the part time job of being a town councilman for the past three years. Um, But before that, I don't think he did anything. And um, so that's kind of the double-edged sword that is Matt Risser. Like, on the one hand, he doesn't have any practical job experience at all, 
But on the other hand, he's got nothing else going on other than being the mayor. So he's going to do a good job unless he loses, uh, in which case I don't think he'll have anything in the world. Another thing he's got going for him is John McGee's lived here 25 years, but he was born here. But a point against him, according to my brother, he does not wipe down the equipment at the gym when he's done with it. And then as far as what his policies and stuff are, uh, he did give me a brochure that I have not read. It is just honestly too boring to get into. That's the state of the race this week. I'll be back next time with uh, some answers about why the horse kicked in the subway window. Back to you, James and Michael. There we go. Bryn, thank you so much for your continued great work out there in Nova Scotia. Bryn, the next time I see you, I swear to God, uh, we're going to socially distance, but I'm buying you a lobster supper and all of the uh, Alexander Keith's beers you want. You can follow Bryn on Twitter at Brintendo64. Well, Michael, I think, um, why don't we take a quick break and come back with our guest? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. We hope you enjoyed the uh, nice break we always provide between the intro and the guest. Speaking of guests, our guest this week is a Canadian comedy legend. Oh my God, he's a hilarious stand-up comedian, writer, and podcaster, but he also created and starred in the iconic sitcom Corner Gas, and now season three of Corner Gas Animated is about to premiere October 12th on CTV. Wouldn't you know it? Look, it's Brent Butt. Hello, everybody. Hi, Brent. Are they hey. lo- are, so? Are they looking, or is this just audio? Is it video? Should I have a better shirt? No, you look. The audience can't see you, but you look gorgeous. Uh, this is merely—it's uh-huh. strictly audio, uh, so don't worry. Yeah. Uh-huh. So listen, everybody. It's Brent Butt. <laughs> <laughs> but if I we, if people could see you, it's a great image. You've got. Uh, Spider-Man pinball machine behind you and a foosball machine. Yeah. Is this and your a wol- living And a Wolverine room? t-shirt because I'm a man of 54. So I have a <laughs> lot of... And, and I work in the cartoon business. I... Yeah, I'm not going to grow up. You so, grow up, you hey, guys. Wolverine <laughs> is Canadian, Spider-Man, a real American, and foosball is Italian. So you have some nice, you have a nice yeah. mix of cultures there. That's right. I'm layered as all get out. <laughs> Is and this Brent, your? Is sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I just want to let the audience know um, before we started recording, Brent told us that he's using two mics today, and it's true. Uh, you're rocking two mics, and we appreciate yeah. that because usually our guests uh, aren't bold enough to do that. So we, we <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm you know terrified of screwing up technically, and so <laughs> I I cover my caboose in, in any manner that I can whenever I can. But yeah, I have one. One of the mics is uh, like going into for you guys to communicate with me. And another one, I'm recording my audio separately in case there's any kind of hinky issues. That's how I've skyrocketed to the top of <laughs> Canadian show business. That kind of attention really, to detail and terror uh, of failure that has got me where I am today. Was that what sort of uh, led to your rise in stand-up, using two mics on stage? Yeah, or? I was the guy that used two mics. For a long time, that's they're known me as old BB2 mics. <laughs> In this stereo. was in the late 80s, you know, Rum DMC was big, BB2 mics, I had a bit of a, I had a sniff of success. I was known in the streets. Oh, wow. 
that's uh well we do appreciate it um i'd just like to say that one more time but um are is it true you're in are you in bc right now talking to us I am, yeah. Vancouver, BC is my home. I've lived here since, uh, I can't do the math, but I was since 93, so however long that is. Coming up on, what, 30 years now? We're not far off 30 years. 27? (laughs) I I said I couldn't do the math, and then I proved it to you. (laughs) I really drilled the point home. (laughs) What's the air quality like there? Because we talked to someone recently who said they couldn't leave their house. Yeah, today is quite good. It was it was very very bad for a few days. It was uh, there were two or three days where Vancouver had the worst air quality on planet Earth. I think that's the only planet that they monitor uh, the air for humans is Earth. But we were the we were the top dogs there for a while in terms of air you couldn't breathe, and it was actually I had never experienced. Um, it, w- it felt like you that you could feel the air on your face, like like grit, like you were walking through uh, grit. You know what I mean? Like there was just part of the particulate matter in the air was thick enough that my I could feel it on my face. Now, mind you, I have a very sensitive face, <laughs> so maybe everybody didn't experience on that level. But yeah, it was. You, yeah, you just you. I took the dog out for a short walk because and he was like making noises like he was having a hard time he's like, <laughs> like that you know and oh. so you come home quickly and then we both stink afterwards like it was <laughs> like we came home from poker night mm. oh boy but that seems kind of unfair because the fires aren't in bc right the, it's just yeah, the smoke not, wafting up so it's kind of yeah, like you guys it's are getting american a smoke we got yeah. the American smoke, which was also one of the names I used to have on the street, American smoke. But it, yeah, it was from the the California and Oregon and Washington. I think there was three states that were hit hard with fires all at the same time. And then Vancouver geographically is a little bit of a basin. You know, you got the mountains on mm-hmm. one side, and then we got this amazing bay, English Bay, which is a deep, shallow uh, water bay. That uh, but it, it tends to trap things in the uh, in the lower mm-hmm. mainland here. So we ha- we had it rough for a few days. Mm. If I were you, I would set up a gigantic fan uh, on my porch. <laughs> I assume you have a porch to blow that American air right back down south uh, where it belongs. You know, I don't think I do have a porch, but I, now I feel bad. I don't have a porch. I'd like to like a nice swing. Oh, we're actually Ooh. today. Actually, we were writing one of the episodes of Corner Gas Animated where Oscar and Emma get a porch swing. So that because she's oh. been watching a lot of it, uh, the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> so she wants a porch swing and i kind of have a hankering for that now i'm even using words like hankering that that's where <laughs> i'm at mentally you were the first guest james am i correct to say this that brent mm. is the first guest who's used the word hankering um i'm gonna have to go over our wikipedia but it <laughs> might be yeah that's if you cool. had to guess of all your guests who would be the first it would probably be me right uh probably you um you haven't Maybe. had Haystack Calhoun on here as a guest, have you? <laughs> no. Wrestling legend Haystack Calhoun. I bet I'm the first one to reference Haystack Calhoun. You're also the first to reference Haystack Calhoun. <laughs> Maybe I'll just make this all about firsts. You remember the, George Carlin used to do a bit years ago about one of the things he likes to do is come up with sentences that he he knows he's the first and only human to ever say those sentences he used oh, really? to do a whole bit about that about because so he would just say i'm going down to the softball game to beat up hitler's widow and i know i'm the first human on earth to ever say that phrase <laughs> There's a lot of first time sentences uh these days of like uh 
uh, stuff about masks and uh, the Armageddon. You know, that you, if you tried to explain to your ancestors, they wouldn't know uh, what the hell. I know it really about. is a bit of an end times situation that we're on here. I thought I thought um, the apocalypse was going to be far more dramatic than this. Mm. This is such an easing into tepid water <laughs> where you yeah, just, oh, so now true. today I can't breathe. Oh, now there's a fascist government. Oh, now it's, we're just slowly, <laughs> it's like we're splashing ourselves with cool water every day a little more into the fascist end of mankind. Yeah, it's not really happening like a movie where, yeah, it happens all in one dramatic 20 minutes. It's definitely a nice slow easing in. A bathtub yeah. is a good, yeah. Do you ever find yourself, Brent, uh, fearing for the fate of the planet, worrying about the rise of fascism, but then also finding yourself playing pinball? (laughs) Yeah, quite quite often. One leads to the other every time. If I start thinking about pinball, right away my mind goes to fascism and vice versa. No, but I don't worry about the planet at all. The planet's going to be fine. I think humanity is doomed and we'll you know, soon be snuffed and the bugs will take over, but the earth will be fine. Like we had a good run. I think we had a good run. Everybody come on. What do you, what do you want? Uh, a half a million years running the planet. We've had a few hundred thousand. I'm not an anthropologist. I couldn't tell you how many, how long have humans been the tall dogs here? I think uh, it's like a couple decades. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah, sure. At least since the 60s. Yeah, I remember I can't think of any dinosaurs I saw in <laughs> real life and I was around in the 60s. I was born in the 60s. So di- dinosaurs ruling the earth predate the mid 60s. <laughs> For sure. Now, surely Brent, you don't want the planet to end before season 3 of Corner Gas animated premieres, right? Yeah, ideally if I could call my shot, that would be uh, <laughs> we would do a lovely season, maybe a few more seasons even and then wrap it up. <laughs> and let the bugs take over. <laughs> are you are you all recording? Uh, I think I saw a Instagram post where you were in the booth. Uh, so you're, are you doing the voiceovers right now? Um, we just, During- I think we just, we've, we're, yeah, we've done all the voice work for, for the episodes for season three. That's all done now. We're doing some, we do some pickup stuff because sometimes we make changes. Uh, we do little rewrites and things like that. And we'll have people come in and do... You know, because sometimes you you record, you get it together and you're like, oh, we're a minute and a half too long. And you think to yourself, well, if, you know, if Davis had said this line, if we give him a more concise line, we could get all the information. And so you'll have an actor come back in, that kind of thing. So it's all pickups and. um, But, yeah, we had to change how we do it in this uh, day and age of the covid. We used to all all the Vancouver actors would get into a studio at once. We record at a lovely studio here in Vancouver called Cosmic. And at the same time, all the uh, actors that live in Ontario would get into a studio in Toronto. And they, we would be patched in somehow electrically, maybe. The internet, something. <laughs> telephone wires. But we can hear each other. There's a little delay, but we can hear each other. So, you know, the thing about animation is you have the ability to do things individually. But I always felt like part of the success that we had with Corner Gas was that kind of, um, uh, you know, the intangible chemistry that you get from these actors. When they react and act with each other, it's a bit of chemistry, a bit of magic that you... So I, I thought, whenever possible, let's get them in the room to react with each other. And I, th- I think it works really, really well. And we've had to adjust that a bit because we can't all clamber into the studio, breathe in on each other. 
our hinky germs and gobs of <laughs> lungular goop. So um, we do, but like Nancy and I will go into one studio because we live together. So we're, it's assumed we have each other's uh, cooties already. You're in the same a, bubble. You're in the same yeah. uh, COVID bubble. <laughs> And then Fred, who plays Hank, he goes into, so it's the same building, but a different studio. So we're separated by a wall. But the three of us are there together at the same time. And then, um, you know, Tara, who plays uh, Officer Karen Pelly, she's in Toronto. And Eric is in Toronto. And uh, Kareen, who plays Emma, is in Toronto. And Lauren and Gabe are out here on the West Coast. So we can still usually get four or five recording at the same time. So that's pretty good. Do you, um, it must be kind of fun doing the animated version of the show because, you know, when you were shooting the original Corner Gas, I imagine you have to like think about how you look and, you know, how you get makeup and how you dress that day. Now, I got, you could probably show up, you know, however you like. Yeah, exactly. And I do. I often show up. I, I'm not a big <laughs> fan of shaving, but I don't, but I don't like to have, I don't, I, I don't want to grow a beard because it gets, I can't stand that itchy phase. You have a bit of a beard you're rocking right now. Was there a oh, yeah. haywire itchy window? Yeah, there's kind of a brutal two weeks yeah. where it looks really bad and it's itchy. But I if you can make it through that. I can't. Yeah. And, I, and I don't feel that it's worth it. I don't think if I thought, God damn, I'm going to look great with a beard, then I might power through. But I think I'm just going to look like my older brother. Right. And, you know, what's that going to get me? <laughs> so, uh, so I've never had the, he's a fine looking man, but it's no, it's not a step up. It's a lateral move. So okay. I'm, I'm right. going through, I can't see forcing my face through that kind of itchiness. So, but at the same time, I don't enjoy shaving. So, you know, when you're in production, you have to shave every day and it's, uh, uh, something I don't look forward to. And now, um, you know, if I don't feel like shaving on the day, I don't. I go in with the, and my whiskers are all white now. Frosty whisker tips. My wife calls me, oh, here's frosty whisker tips. <laughs> do you shower before you go in to the, record the cartoon? Because you uh, could not, you don't have to do that either. I have a bubble bath. <laughs> I have a bubble bath and a big, like a hair net. Even though I don't have hair, I have a big shower cap on. And I have a big scratchy back sponge <laughs> <laughs> is it true that like mariah carey you need to be in a fully purple environment so you have the studio painted purple purple <laughs> candles lit uh, well it's the pink. same it's it it's for me it's rider green it's it's right. saskatchewan rough rider green everything has got to be <laughs> rough rider green the whole way around or i throw a hell of a hissy fit you wouldn't believe it oh. kicking stuff over uh throwing things the veggie tray throwing the veggie tray that, that maybe you prepared for yourself you uh you you knock it over <laughs> <laughs> now you know how it is in canadian show business we you know we're we keep ourselves on a pretty short leash because it's uh, there's no room to be a diva <laughs> in canadian show business um brent this might be a sensitive issue but i, I wanted to bring it uh -oh. up i saw a video from uh 2016 on the cbc news website that the in Saskatchewan the corner gas set was sadly demolished because the local authorities said it was no longer safe because it had been built on uh, a bog and yeah. it was slowly sinking. Now, uh, have have you seen this video or is it is it simply too painful? No, I have. Uh, I mean, I had to green light the whole thing. <laughs> I I gave the thumbs up to the bring it down. 
It had to come down because, yeah, like the, the notion was we f- we built where we built the gas station, because first of all, a lot of people thought that we just took over an existing gas station for the show, but it was not the case. <laughs> we built that from scratch. It was a set, right? It was just uh, designed by a very talented man named Hugh Shanklin to look very real. But it was just designed to be a set. It was a bit of a wobbly, shambly, you know. It's like a, it's like the fake walls in, you see in the Hollywood movies, right? Mm-hmm. right? And so it wasn't built to last. And when we went into this corner gas thing, we all thought, well, you know, we've, we've somehow tricked CTV into letting us do this, but there's a terrible mistake on their part. And nobody's going to watch a show but a gas station in Saskatchewan. There will be 90 people who will watch the show, many of them my family. And then at the end of these 13 episodes, we'll all wrap it up and go home and think, well, what a lovely time we had. <laughs> so we never thought down the road... And so that parcel of land where we bought, where we built the gas station set was where two roads intersect at a, at a very kind of aesthetically pleasing angle. And you could, when we were scouting, I said, stop the van, stop the van. We hopped out and I said, look back, if we look back at this angle, you can see that it's a very aesthetically pleasing angle. And you see this, the town in the background of the water tower and all that stuff. I said, if we built the gas station set there, it would look great. And everybody uh, agreed. And so, but that hunk of land is kind of a bog. It's not like a swamp, <laughs> but it's not super sound. And we we fortified it with, you know, gravel the way as much as we could. And But it's not like we could put down concrete um, pilings and things like that. We rented the land from, it, it was a, a cabal of Ukrainian wheat farmers out there that were, uh, you know, not to be <laughs> trifled with. This was their land, and <laughs> and so they they let us build there. We rented that land from them, uh, but we did like I demand, said, we thought. It, did any of the Ukrainian people demand uh, a, a role on the show early on? Did you have to sort of? Uh, no, I think that they they uh, they kind of looked at it. It was nonsense, you know. <laughs> they looked. At the, I think they show business carried the same weight for them that it carries with many of the people I grew up with. Where it's like, ah, oh, really. It's that's not work, right? Playtime, grow up, that kind of attitude. But they didn't mind us renting the land from them. So we rented the land, built the set, and we thought it was going to come down at the end of three months when our 13 episodes were done filming. And then when the first episode aired, it was like, I was on the phone going, How, what? How many? How many watched it? Surely that's a mistake. And then so we thought, well, that's going to come down. CTV had done some very good promotion for the show. So we thought, okay, so we got, it was over a million people watched that first episode. We thought that'll start weaning down and it didn't, it just grew. And we never had an episode air under a million. And the, the final season, or the final episode, um, I believe it still holds the record for the uh, highest watched scripted television program in Canadian history. That's amazing. Because there's like 35 million people in Canada. Maybe. So, you know, one out of 35. Good God. Yeah. And so the the final was over 3 million. So we had a one out of 10. One out of 10 people over the age of two. They don't count (laughs) uh, infants, but they'll go from two up. And so, uh, and that, yeah, that was one of the things too, like corner gas, all, all those kind of numbers that blow me away when I think about them. And like it was the only time in Canadian history that the top comedy in Canada was from Canada. It's the mm-hmm. only time that's ever happened. And the fact that we 
one of the reasons our numbers were so high is we were winning every demographic, you know? So it'd be like, yeah, you won the uh, six to 10 and you won the 30 to 45 and you won the 55 to 62. <laughs> we were winning every demographic at, at our, at our peak. So it was, it was very satisfying too. That is our, what, Oh, sorry, James. Go on. I think Go you mentioned to me once that it's also, it has like some hardcore fans um you know worldwide was it england that there was a big uh it was just airing in england or something yeah like there's that? a guy that there's a guy who has a dedicated uh blog corner gas fan blog i think it's cornergasfan.com i should i should remember the name of it his name is ian richards and he's a uk fella and he yeah he's a big fan of the show and he's like a big champion of it overseas and yeah i mean the, the original show airs in 60 countries now Wow. And the the animated show, the like we said, the third season is airing. So this thing that we started cobbling together in 2003, um, here we are. Oh, I w- painted myself into a mathematical corner again. <laughs> so here we are so many years later and still... Um, because I kept thinking, it's like we, so we did 107 episodes of the live action, and then I didn't want it to, you know, get old and tired, and I didn't want it to like get gross and die in front of everybody, right? Mm. I didn't want it to wither <laughs> on the vine type of thing, and so, and you know, you're a creative person, you like to create stuff, so uh, and do other things, and so we just walked away after six seasons, but we all thought my partners and i we thought wouldn't it be great if like a few years down the road we could come back and do a movie a corner gas movie mm-hmm. and that would be the cherry on top and so we did 5 years after the final tv episode aired we came back and we did a feature film but the feature film was so well received it was <laughs> it was crazy the number of eyeballs that came to that so many people were coming to the theater they're like it was physically selling out theaters like my brother lloyd called me from calgary and he's like i can't get into your damn movie um so cineplex you know actually who my brother is <laughs> i've Man, got a beard. calgary <laughs> no he's he's the non-bearded uh, oh okay. i i'm uh, from a big family but anyway the cineplex even called up the network and said can we have because they, they had a short theatrical window and they said could we have another week of this movie in our theater. So CTV let them have an extra week. So anyway, that the response just, that's how the animated came about because the network said, look, there's still clearly an appetite for the show. Do you want to do more episodes? And but I didn't want to just go back and do the same thing over, but I enjoy being employed. So I yeah. said, how could we do this different? And I ha- have a background in cartooning and graphic arts. And I, after high school, I left to go to Oakville, Ontario to study, uh, animation at the Sheridan College there for I think I quit after four days but so it was kind of funny to come full circle here I am now making a adult primetime animated series can can I ask you so you went to uh Sheridan um we did some digging and um you published a a couple issues of a of a comic book didn't yeah yeah existing earth Existing Earth. It's a very uh, mid eighties, late eighties kind of swirling sci-fi. You know, like scantily clad women in <laughs> in little bits of armor and big weapons and fighting demons. It's very like a little different from Corner Gas, but basically <laughs> the same. We've established I'm layered. Uh, I'm I got a lot of interests and scantily clad warrior women are one of the you know along with pinball and but. 
the funny thing is, well, the way that came about was I, I had this idea for a story that I thought could be an eight page filler that we could maybe sell to Marvel comics because they had in their large black and white magazines, they, they, they ran, they were usually printed on a type of press that, cause I used to work in the press industry too, in the printing business and the press that they would use for these things usually run in eight page increments. And so often they would put an eight page filler at the back of a story, or they would put a story that would get them to the eight page sequence that they need. So I had this idea for a story and I called up my buddy Colin and I said, let's go for coffee. I want to run this idea by you. He's a comic book nerd like me. And so we had coffee and I spilled up my idea to him about these uh, two uh, warrior women who go back in time to prevent these demons from altering a certain piece of Earth's history. So I tell him my idea and he's like, oh, interesting. Next day he calls me up and he goes, let's go for coffee again. Overnight he had flushed it out into this big epic thing that could go on forever and have legs. So as cool as that was, the the business person, the, <laughs> the entrepreneur of me said, oh, well, great. We'll never sell that. Now we have a product that we can't sell. So what we have to do is start a publishing company. We'll never sell this to another publishing company. So I was 19 and wow. my buddy was 20 oh, wow. and we started a publishing company and I was still living at home. So I'd say to my mom, you know, you might hear me on the phone at 3 a.m. tonight. I'm on the phone with England talking distribution with you. What the <laughs> hell are you doing? What? <laughs> um, so... And and the funny thing now, too, is that fella, Colin, one of my oldest buddies, he... So we did this comic book to a point where we realized it wasn't going to pan out. It was actually one of my first good business lessons, undercapitalizing a venture. We, we were going in the right direction, but we ran out of capital to get to where we could become profitable. But we also kind of had different interests. He was interested in the military. He went and joined the Navy, and I wanted to become a greasy nightclub comedian. And so we went our separate <laughs> paths, and then... Years later, we both end up in Vancouver and we're both working in animation. He's an animation director and I'm doing Corner Gas Animated. Isn't that funny? That's wow. crazy. I mean, it's not hilarious. Well, but, but it's... I love it. It's wild. <laughs> <laughs> Could you ever see yourself bringing that back? Any of the sort of wild uh, superhero fantasy stuff in some way? I don't know. I don't think that's like I like I said, I had this idea for this kind of one off a short story. And it was my buddy that really flushed it out into something mm. that could be big. I don't think I have. It's not in my wheelhouse naturally to uh, to tell that kind of story. I think I, mm. um, I, I, I tell much more. I think I should keep it to contemporary <laughs> more things that I know. I just wrote actually. My first novel, I took this uh, time that we have to spend at home alone so much. I, I always wanted to write a novel, so I ended up writing a novel. And, it, and it's, the, to me, the it's thing. a giant timepiece. Yeah, I did the damn write a novel. In the, <laughs> but it takes place in the 90s. And to me, that's like, wow, it's really throwback machine all the way to the 90s. <laughs> Is it about two young men who start a comic book? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it really is. I have such limited scope and imagination. <laughs> I wrote a novel about what I had for lunch. It's as far back as I go. No, it's, it's set against the world of stand-up comedy in the 90s. But oh, it's, okay. but it's, uh, but it's uh, hopefully it's a psychological thriller. That's what it, I've been getting good feedback from Ooh. the beta readers right now. So, so it's, it's, it's not, it's not necessarily a straight-ahead comedy. Yeah, it's not. There's some funny things that get said because the principles of the story are comedians. Um, but it's principally, it's a scary, 
you know, violent, uh, nightmarish story, hopefully. But the people seem to have been enjoying it so far. Oh, I have to keep an eye out for that. The uh, the world of Canadian stand-up comedy is a perfect setting for a psychological horror <laughs> or thriller movie or a yeah. novel. <laughs> it kind of is. That's kind of the idea. Do you miss uh, doing shows, Brent? Um, I, I do. I imagine you were doing them all the time. Yeah, I still, whenever we were, uh, wherever we're on a hiatus between seasons, I'd always hit the road and do shows. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm getting itchy. I agreed the other night to do uh, a backyard, you know, Graham Clark, hilarious comedian yeah. Graham Clark. He does these backyard outdoor comedy shows. So people sit in like lawn chairs, you know, I don't know, there's 18 people or 22 people or whatever. And you're just in somebody's backyard. And he asked if I would be interested in doing one. I said, yeah, absolutely. Or actually, I think I even reached out to him. I saw he posted a picture on Instagram or Twitter or something. And I said, damn, that looks like fun. I could go, you know, and I'm itching to do stand up. And he said, anytime you want to do one, let me know. And I said, well, tell me when you're doing the next one. I didn't want to go through this whole weird pandemic thing without participating in some of this strange comedy that people are <laughs> having to do you know yeah did you do I didn't uh, want new covid material or was it like tried and tested stuff um, no it wasn't was it, a mix? it was a lot of new material but it wasn't covid related i thought people probably had their fill and mm, right. uh, i've always fancied myself to be a bit of a an escape as somebody you could watch to maybe get away from uh the worries of the day you know and and so, but I but it was a lot of new stuff that I tried and hammered out in front of people. And that's you know I love that feeling. That that's what I was really missing was you know getting up there with a, a half baked idea where you kind of know what you think the funny bit might be and hammering it out in a low stakes situation for a small group of people. I I miss that so much. We used to do that at the Urban Well all the time here in Vancouver. This club where we every Tuesday night and you know there would be eighty to hundred people at every show and. Um, you know, people paid five bucks to get in. So it's not, the pressure is low, but it was an ideal scenario when you, cause it's really comedy fans that are there. And the same thing with out in this backyard, nobody's out there just because it's the easiest, best Boo! place to spend a few hours. <laughs> they're there cause they, they're itching to see stand up. Yeah. I came here to enjoy the backyard, not to hear a comedy <laughs> show. <laughs> I'm here for the bugs. yeah talking of the covid topic i feel like once you know comedy and shows and movies come out i feel like you feel like there's going to be a lot of stuff revolving around what we all just went through in the pandemic and i'm not sure if that's going to be yeah i don't know that i'm i'm going to want to watch a movie about like a couple that broke up during the covid (laughs) you know i'm with you i'm looking to get away from it Mm. you know i i i I'm I'm looking for a bit of escapism. Yeah. Well. In fact, watch this. Poof! Big smoke pellet to throw down. <laughs> Where'd he go? <laughs> Where the hell? Now, um, you've you're obviously you you're a very successful, incredibly successful stand-up comedian. You've toured the country. Uh, James and I found out that you played a certain gig in 2005 for none other than Her Majesty the Queen. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. Did some, did some stand-up and sang. 
<laughs> Every Canadian man's dream to sing and, and jest for the queen. <laughs> and I still have my head. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, it was in uh, Saskatchewan became a province in 1905. So in 2005, it was the uh, cent, cent, century anniversary or centenary, whatever the hell. It's 100 years old, Saskatchewan. So they had a big hell of a to-do, right? Big party, big whoop-up at the <laughs> big hockey arena there. And they asked me if I would emcee the event. And there was all like a lot of ex- I was going to say Pats, but I guess they're ex-provincial people. Like Leslie Nielsen was born in Saskatchewan. He came back ah. and Joni Mitchell was there. And, you know. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And so anyway, <laughs> Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip were there in <laughs> attendance. <laughs> and uh, I just can't picture them in Saskatchewan. <laughs> is the Queen as tall as we think she is from seeing her on TV? And is Philip as handsome as we think he is from seeing him on TV? <laughs> I, I, had a, I had a terrific... Uh, exchange with him. So after the show, um, uh, the, the participants on the show, so we stayed, remained on stage and they came up and they did a little kind of a, they walked down the line and greeted everybody, you know? And so I shook hands with the queen and, um, in my mind, I said, how's it going? But I, I probably didn't, <laughs> but uh, my exchange with her was very short. And then, uh, Philip swooped in like he suddenly his big giant head was right there. He's a tall fella and he's got a long puss on him, you know, and so his face was right there. He came at me quicker than I anticipated. Was Startled he jealous me a little. or what was? No, <laughs> he had he had a, something he wants to talk to me about. He swooped in at me and he said, uh, he said, it's good to see you up here this close because where we were sitting, we couldn't see you, you were in bad lighting. We could barely tell if you were alive or dead. Are you alive? And I said to him, I said, barely. And he went, barely. (laughs) And walked on to the next person. And I was just like, wow. That was a strange. That is a really weird interaction. That's like the kind of thing. The kind of thing that you say when you're not used to being around normal people ever. (laughs) (laughs) We couldn't tell if you're alive or dead. Are you alive? (laughs) Barely. (laughs) Barely. Was there special security around Her Majesty, or were like, uh, did you have to be vetted by MI six or whatever the hell? <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't recall that. I mean, they may have vetted me without my knowledge, but um, <laughs> the you know we were given a, like a protocol thing, like things you're not supposed to do. Uh, uh, no, uh, don't be too handsy. No, you're not supposed to like little things like uh, you're not supposed to extend your hand to shake her hand. You you don't do that unless she extends her hand first. Right. Oh. Little protocol things, but also by all accounts, um, people say they're the Queen and Prince Philip are not too hung up on that kind of stuff. They're like mm. you know the, the we give you these official things, but you know don't be worried. But just don't be a Dick is kind of the it's the bigger overall <laughs> message. Right? <laughs> Were you at all in your head before that show, like thinking, like, oh, I want, like, yeah, you know, going through your material, like, I mean, you know, I'm saying there this was for the more. Queen. Yeah, it was. There was a bit of that beforehand, but there was uh, an actual moment. And I've talked about this before, but there was an actual moment that hit me while I was on stage. It was very strange, and I almost lost it. Because I was singing this dopey song that I wrote called Nothing Rhymes with Saskatchewan. And I'm singing it in front of 13,000 people 
on a stage and Queen Elizabeth II is there and we're looking at each other and I'm singing this song that I wrote <laughs> called Nothing Rhymes with Saskatchewan. And I had a, I had kind of the, the car- cartoonist in me. I pictured that scenario and above both our heads was uh, that same thought bubble. Why am I here? <laughs> and as I'm singing that, I almost lost. I almost started cracking up because it was just plus it was one of those moments like, you know, I've had certain surreal moments in my life where you just stop and you go, how the hell? How did this happen? <laughs> I also I also recalled when I was meeting her afterwards, a conversation that I had with yet another the, the my, another one of my brothers, not beardy, not movie guy. Okay, my other brother. Hold on, how many are there? <laughs> I, I'm seven of seven. I'm the youngest of seven kids. Oh. Whoa, four boys and three girls. And so, uh, but anyway, my brother John said to me, "I remember this. He's ten years older than me, so I remember I was like five, and he'd be fifteen, roughly. And I remember this conversation very clearly when I said to because we got into like a big argument." <laughs> you wouldn't think a 15-year-old and a 5-year-old would get, it would yeah. get heated, but it did. I, <laughs> I said to him, I would never want to meet the queen because if she didn't like you, she could have your head cut off. And he said to me, that's stupid. You can't have your head cut off. And I, yeah, no, you, I read all the stories. You know, it could happen. They offered his head. And he's like, ah, you're being stupid. That's all made up stuff. That's all the days the queen can't have your head cut off. And I was like adamant she could. And then finally his sh- parting shot was, well, don't worry about it. You're never going to meet the queen. And then here I was in this moment about to meet the queen. <laughs> wow. Really he must have felt like total shit. I screamed into the camera, in your face! Now who's not meeting the queen? You're high-fiving the queen and Prince Philip and like... I, I, I bring it up to you him You provoke her just to try to get her to get your head cut off, <laughs> yeah. just to prove your brother wrong? Hey, short pants. I said, I shouldn't have called her short pants, but... <laughs> That's amazing. I would be, uh, I definitely would make a joke that would get me in trouble, I think, if I had to do something in front of the queen. Um, but I did, I did have the thought that, uh, and it was just a passing thought. I never th- for a second thought, but I did have a thought that if I uh, punched her, I would be the most famous man in the world for a brief, <laughs> for a brief period. <laughs> just she pow. Across yeah. the ocean to come celebrate some some town she's never heard of, yeah. like having a centenary, and she gets punched <laughs> in the face yeah. by the comedian. <laughs> Why would he? I thought it would be a hell of a big story, and who would have seen it coming? Uh, and um, yeah, amazing. I guess more infamous than famous, but I would be very very well known. So luckily, uh, the you know it's not it wasn't important. Fame wasn't important enough for me to make that terrible. But I did have the thought, so there must be something wrong with me. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I mean, if you had had Twitter at the time, it would have really boosted the follower count, probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Instagram. Yeah. And you've, <laughs> you've also met other uh, world leaders who are arguably more famous than Queen Elizabeth. I'm talking about Paul Martin and Stephen Harper. Um, <laughs> they both did cameos on Corner Gas. I have to ask you. Yeah, and Stephen then Harper. Justin Trudeau on Animated. And, so we've had and, three okay. setting Whoa. prime ministers. Of the three PMs you've worked with, who was the more, I think I know the answer, who was the more natural comedic talent? (laughs) Was it Stephen Harper? (laughs) Stephen Harper was, he had much more comedic timing than I expected him to have. And and also, he rolled with it more than I thought he was going to. So we had written the, the scene, 
that we wrote really showed him. To, it, it was him being the prime minister being interviewed by like a, you know, at a press scrum. And he flip flops from one issue. To, he, he says he takes a stance on an issue. He gets a sense that the crowd isn't liking it. And so he immediately flip flops and goes to the other issue. So I thought, well, we'll put that out there. But we've got to have plan B because odds are he and his people are going to say, eh, you know, it doesn't show me in a good light. Have me flip flopping. And he was just like, ah, that's funny. He flip flops on the issue right in front of everybody. Yeah, I'll do that. That's funny. And so he just <laughs> he just took it. And then his timing was pretty good. And with Paul Martin, the thing that jumped out at me was how I could see why Paul Martin became a uh, you know, rose to the ranks that he did and also was like a, like a big business tycoon because he's voraciously curious. Like he couldn't, he was just, he was taking in everything and th this was kind of a new thing for him. So he was like, he wanted to know what that machine did. Where does that wire go? What is their job? He was so, um, he didn't, he didn't like not knowing what was going on. Like, it's not that he was off put by it, but he just wanted to, it's like, oh, here's a bunch of stuff. I don't know. I would like to know this. And, and. I'm not that, I don't have that kind of, you know, curiosity. I wonder if he like, after doing the appearance on your show, immediately like went home and wrote a pitch for a sitcom and was like, I need to get in on this business. It's about a, um, a shipping tycoon who becomes a prime minister and he's very funny. <laughs> now, you know what was cool too about Paul Martin is after, so we shot the piece with them for the day, like for, you know, it was like an hour shoot with him. It was kind of a, a funny segment that I, th that I thought I came up with for, because we knew he was going to be there. And we thought the simplest thing would be to have him, if, if we wrote this thing where he was like the prime minister giving an address at the very start of the show. So the cold opening is him addressing my fellow Canadians and he starts talking about, so it's kind of like corner gas isn't on. So if you're sitting there waiting for corner gas and suddenly here's the prime minister and the flags are behind him and he starts talking my fellow Canadians and then you see me creep up behind him and I kind of inch, inch up and him, excuse me. And he's like, oh, hi, Brent. And I ask him if he has to do this now, because this is the only half hour that uh, I, I get on TV. Could you do this at another time? So we <laughs> shot that piece with him. And then afterwards, there was a bit of a, I can't remember what the event was, but there was another event in Regina and he was going there and I was going there too, myself and Nancy and some of the other cast. And when Nancy and I got there, uh, Prime Minister Martin and his wife were there and they saw us and they came running over and he, he uh, gave Nancy a big hug. He, he like loved the Wanda character and he's like, oh, and he came up and gave her a big <laughs> hug. It's so great to meet you. You weren't there when we were shooting the piece. I was hoping I'd get to meet you and give her a big hug. I thought that was really nice. It must be tempting in moments like that to be like, oh, I'm so glad you love the show. Um, yeah, it'd be great to not have to pay uh, taxes. This <laughs> yeah. yeah, this could be a regular thing if I didn't have to. No, all I could think of was that, you know, if I punched him in the mouth, I would be <laughs> well, I, I shouldn't be allowed in these scenarios because this is my. <laughs> yeah. And then we had uh, Justin Trudeau because now it's like a tradition. So I thought uh, we have Justin Trudeau. We reach out to him. And, um, and that was, uh, I reached out to his people via Twitter. That's how, that's where we are in this day and age. I reached out to, you know, somebody from his office via Twitter and then it went up the line and then we heard, yeah, he'd, he'd be interested in doing it. In and the case, nice thing about animation is it's much easier. Like I can go to where you are with a microphone. It took, I think I took 20 minutes out of his day. Oh, so he didn't come in the booth with you guys. You went and. No, I went to, yeah, to the PMO, a uh, little boomstick in a. What was recorder. he? What was he like? I guess it was pretty brief, but yeah, it was. It was pretty brief, and he, um, 
So I basically, I, said, I was telling him how the scene should go. And I didn't want to give him like a line read. You know, you're not supposed to give a line. And he just, he just <laughs> said, could you just tell me how to do it? Like, do, do it the way you would do it if you were me, because I don't want to screw this up. I want to do it right. And so I said, sure. And I just did the read the way I felt he should do it. And he went, okay, I'll do it like that. Mm. And yeah, we I chatted see. for a bit and took some photos. And then he was, he got hustled away to do some business. Wow. I saw him once in a restaurant in Montreal. And I remember thinking, handsome and big head. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of your top politicians have. <laughs> I, I, people often ask me if I'm going to go into politics because I got a giant head. <laughs> Now, Brent, um, I just noticed you, you left out a detail in your <clears throat> story about meeting Trudeau. When you were helping him record uh, Corner Gas Animated, did the thought cross your mind that, hey, if I punched him in the <laughs> face, I could be the most famous man in the country? It's all I could think about. Him and Harper. And <laughs> if you guys were in the room with me here, if we weren't doing this over Zoom, if I was there and we were recording this, oh, I mean, it wouldn't fist would be just... Yeah. Wouldn't make you quite as famous as if you did it to the queen, but, you know, it might generate a little a little, yeah, buzz. A little buzz. A little stink around the comedy bar or something, you know. <laughs> are you a big uh, CFL fan, and are you super sad that the CFL isn't happening this year, and maybe never again? Like, could this be the end of the The CFL? notion of it happening never again makes me very sad. Because, I, yeah, I mean, you know, you, I grew up in Saskatchewan, and, you know, it's a religion there. Uh, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders are it. And, you know, when I was a little kid, I, I used to pretend that I was George Reed. We would play football in the backyard, me and my buddies. And uh, and years later, I got to meet George Reed. It was very exciting because, you know, somebody you pretend to be when you're little and then you meet him in real life. And I'm much, I'm much bigger than him. He's hmm. not a very tall guy. Um, but, you know, he was he was such a compact running back. Anyway, the notion of like I get. The season not happening because of world events, but the, but you you know you bring up a good point. It 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 was not an economically flush league, uh, not swimming in dollars like a lot of your uh, top, you know, uh, sporting leagues, and so they don't have the wiggle room that some of the other ones do. And um, I think it's a real it's a real concern. Way to bring yeah, me down, Michael. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Great. You really helped the interview, Mike. You must want to punch me in the face right now. Oh, if um, I could just, it's all I could do. Now. That's um, why I've set up these two microphones. I pretend one is each of you. Before we, um, before we did the interview, I watched on YouTube a video of your wife, Nancy, uh, cutting your hair. That oh, was yeah. very popular, too. It had lots of views. Were you nervous? No, because... <laughs> Uh, you know, what can you do to this? Look, I was not like I'm riding my pretty boy good looks, right? So it was, it was either I was going to get a good haircut, a bad haircut, or somewhere in between. <laughs> Any of those things is fine. Who are we kidding? And so, uh, yeah, it was all about just having some shits and giggles with the haircut. I like it would, the sort of buzz cut that you have. Yeah. Um, I like that because then you never have to think about it. Yeah. You know, bit, and easy. So fast, like I go to the barbs in and out of the barber. If there's if there's not a big lineup ahead of me, if it's just if I go midday when nobody else is there, it's really like a seven minute 
<laughs> in and out. And that includes chatting and paying afterwards and everything. The whole thing, in and out. I remember one time going in, there was a, a couple uh, people having a conversation out on the sidewalk outside the barbershop. And I went in and I got my hair cut and I came out and they were still there having the same chat about the same topic. <laughs> That's how fast I, my haircut is. Because I don't have a lot of hair, you know. Hmm. And you just got a very round head, not a lot of weird angles. Uh, so just zoop, 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 zoop. When it comes quick. to hair, it's quality over quantity. It's something I've always said. Uh, James, you'll back me up on that. Yep, Mike's always said that. Well, that's bad. it's bad because I also have bad hair. I don't have a lot of it. And it's also very low quality hair. The hair that I have. It's very low. No. It's brittle. <laughs> Do you conditioner? Use conditioner. I mean, you know. That's- no, you're right. I mean, I don't, I have no one to blame but myself. We want to hear putting in full more effort. skin and hair care routine. <laughs> I have a, uh, I have, I'm using this shampoo. Uh, it's a tea tree shampoo. Smells fantastic. And I had no idea what tea tree smells like. I just, you know, I'm not fussy with my shampoo. So uh, one day I was at the store and I was like, oh, I need to get shampoo. And here's this kind I never tried before. And I grabbed it. And um, anyway, I love that. It's quite strong. And I, it opens my sinuses. I'm loving it. I'm loving the shower in the morning. I feel like those people in the shower commercials that are just loving it. Yes. And my whole world, it brings me alive in the morning. So I'm a big what fan of tea tree, whatever tea tree is. Hmm. What was that shampoo brand that had like for like a decade? I remember they had commercials where it was like always someone in the shower basically like having an orgasm. Oh, yeah. I remember that too. Herbal Essences, so Mike. And I know that because I'm an Herbal Essence user. And no, is it just Diane. orgasmic every time you use it? It is. It is. I have to turn the stereo up whenever I have a shower so the neighbors don't think I'm doing anything weird. Yeah, I, I'm an Herbal Essences guy through and through. You're always exhausted when you come out of the shower. <laughs> Smoke a cigarette. Yeah, those ads were really, those ads were uh, pretty provocative when we were younger. You know, back you in know? the day when I used to smoke, I was a, I enjoyed the ciggies, you know, mm-hmm. I, oh, I was a smoker for 20 years. And oh. then, and my favorite cigarette of the day was always the first cigarette after the morning shower. <laughs> I would just look for, I'll be in the shower. Oh, I can't wait to get out of here and have a smoke. <laughs> first smoke of the day after the shower. Wow. What I always find crazy is in the, I mean, there's one thing, it's one thing when people stand in like the freezing cold in front of their office building smoking. That's crazy. But what seems even sicker to me is on on like a blazing, blazing hot day, <laughs> seeing people like standing in the sun smoking a cigarette. It just makes me feel like... Just- <laughs> well, it is a, such a powerful addiction that it, it really is that kind of, you just do anything, you know. You would punch the queen to have a smoke <laughs> if you... I'd needed. punch the queen for a Demorier. <laughs> Did you That'd ever listen good- to um, Alan Carr? He has like a famous quitting smoking... Um- no. It's like self-help tape. I have never smoked, but why I listened to it, I don't know. But I did. Wait, you listened to a quit smoking tape? Yeah, I think I knew smoked? someone who has, who wanted to quit and I looked it up for them or something. But it's interesting. Wow. And if they say, you know, if you listen to this, it will help you, you quit. Because he, he talks about how it's not a logical thing. It's like, you know, you... you just, it's not sort of a, a thought process that you're going, yes, I, I, it's okay to have one. It's like some kind of weird... Um, you know, impulse you have, yeah. and it's like very psychological, apparently. Yeah, it's very psychological. It gets you on a lot of levels. It hits you on the the psychology of it, 
is its mm-hmm. own bag of snakes. And then, um, and then there's a powerful chemical component to it. Mm-hmm. And then there's a powerful social component to it. Right. Um, and so, it, so it, you're getting it at a lot of levels. And I tried quitting for many years, but being, you know, greasy nightclub comic here after the show, you're there and everybody's, uh, other people are smoking and you're in the bar and they're having the time of their life. And I would always <laughs> knuckle under after a couple of weeks, you know? And then what really, a few things that came together to help me quit, make it, so that I was able to quit was uh, one of the, so I got advice from two people that really helped. One was my wife, cause she had quit maybe 10 years before I did. And she said, don't say I'm going to like quit smoking next, you know, this week or something. I'm going to quit smoking tomorrow. That won't work. You have to. And this goes back to the psychological component. She said, pick a date way to hell down the road, mm. like months from now. So I'm going to quit smoking, you know, four months hence. And she said, what that does is that just by saying that and planting that date, your brain starts cementing that in saying, and preparing yourself. And the psychology of it is you, you get, you get more prepared for that day to come. You're more mentally there. So that was really good advice. So I picked a day where we always would do this one big whoop up stand up show. And it was months down the road. I said, that'll be my last. And then. Also, my brother Lloyd had quit the the guy who couldn't get into the theater in Calgary. Okay. <laughs> he had he had quit before me, so he gave me the advice. He said that we he and he's he's a tough guy. My brother Lloyd. He's uh, oh. I mean all my all my brothers. I'm the only one of the butt boys who hasn't worked in some capacity of security or bouncing or whatever. You know, <laughs> well, it's never too late. <laughs> never too late. <laughs> you know, I'm waiting till I'm gonna till I'm sixty, and then I'm gonna. <laughs> Um, but he said he he treated it like it was a fight between him and the tobacco companies. And anytime he started craving the cigarette, it became like a battle of wills where they he thought of it like they were saying, well, you can't quit because we have you. We've got you hooked. And he was like, oh, really? You think I can't? And he would tough it through because, you know, fuck them kind of thing. Right. So, th- so I, I took a little bit of that. So those two things, and then just the timing of it, when I was quitting was around the time when you could no longer smoke in bars and pubs and stuff. So that social component Absolutely. was taken away. And I was the only people I was seeing smoking were standing out in the rain or the snow. Right. <laughs> right. So all those three things combined to help me. And plus I'd made a vow to myself. I started smoking when I was 17, when I was 27, I realized I've been smoking 10 years and I said to myself, I won't smoke more than 20 years. I'll quit at 20. And so that's when I quit, 37. Oh, wow. I know, going back to when you could smoke in a bar, it seems insane now. Where you see like guests on Johnny Carson, you know, like yeah. smoking in the yeah. chair. It's like, that's crazy. I do miss that. It looks, it looks cool and relaxed <laughs> on TV, but it was disgusting. There's no life. getting around how cool it was. Oh my God, very cool. <laughs> and still to this day, he, uh, sometimes I'll see a couple people, you know, if it's a nice day and they're standing out and they're having a ciggy and a laugh, you know, I'll say, oh, look at them. They got the world by the ass, those guys. You know, there's still part of me that longs, but there was no question. I could feel it killing me. Like, there's no question. This is a poison. And I, 20 years of smoking, I was also impressed how quickly my body bounced back, like how quickly I began feeling better. Really? Were you? Yeah. Would you smoke on stage? Were you like a smoking comic? No. I did it maybe a half a dozen times in my whole. Yeah. And it, it was, I was, no, I'd smoke before and after, but. Oh, there was only a few times that I ever had a ciggy on stage. And even when I was doing it, I felt like this seems wrong. 
Can I wait 40 minutes for <laughs> Yeah, it's, it feels like it'd be a bit awkward. Like if you got the mic in one hand, the yeah. cigarette in the other, you're saying a joke, yeah. you do a puff. You drink. It's also like cigarette. The, the smoke is usually in the same hand as the microphone, right? Oh. It's like, oh. So it's like, hey, super cool. But it never felt right to me. Yeah, a bit Andrew Dice Clay, maybe. Yeah, you know, I'm doing jokes about boxing with my mom or all these goofy, <laughs> wholesome bits. <laughs> why, why do I need to sing you when I'm up there? Who's this badass? <laughs> <laughs> up there in a green sweater. Should we, James, move on to the uh, fi- the, the end, the, the amazing crescendo segment of our show? where we delve into the recesses of our Twitter draft folders, and we do a segment called Draft Folder Disasters. No! no. That would be great. I just pulled out my phone to look, and I've missed 36 texts from my friend David. And the what last is one is, sorry, a lot of texts. <laughs> we were texting about Trump earlier. Oh. Uh, yes, this is a segment, if you, uh, if you haven't heard it, where uh, Mike and I are going to read um, tweets that we wrote, but then decided not to send out, for whatever <laughs> reason, and uh, they're just in our draft folder. And, Brent- See, and, and you, told, you gave me the heads up about this, and I said, yeah. I can't really, I don't, I've never saved something to draft. I never thought about doing that. That's a hell of a good idea. All, your, I, tweets, well, all, all your tweets gold. are gold. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. I work uh, long and hard on them. <laughs> um james why don't you go first with your first uh stinky tweet that you didn't send for whatever reason and then we'll that talk should be that. the name of the bit should be stinky tweets stinky tweets you're listening to good. stinky tweets frosty whisker tips and stinky tweets going for a walk <laughs> um okay here's uh, a tweet i wrote but did not tweet out um here we go nobody will think i'm a loser once i catch that falcon then they'll see. Then they'll all see. <laughs> That's that. I swear um, to God, I read that. Are you sure you didn't send that? Oh, I mean, maybe I did, or maybe I revisited the Falcon topic. Oh, no, I, I remember now I hacked into your Twitter account one time. Oh, okay. And rummaged through your draft folder. So, James, you yeah. didn't tweet that Falcon, that very funny Falcon tweet. Yeah, Why didn't, I didn't you tweet, tweet it? that one? You know, I don't know. Maybe I didn't want to be known as a Falcon guy. Um, <laughs> anymore. Yeah, anymore. That was me 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's not, you know, it, maybe. It's, I think uh, if, you, if you put that out there now, I think you get some, uh, you get bites. You get, you get traction. Get some bites. Yeah, get some traction. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah, it may not even need anything added to it. Well, maybe. It's just a guy who. Yeah, Falcon thought we'll get a Falcon and get revenge on. I want to know more about the character's backstory, why he feels um, (laughs) like he's an underdog and like what has happened to him that he has so much bitterness towards society. I feel like he's lost his job. Maybe his wife, you know, or girlfriend left him. There we go. And yeah, and he's really annoyed about it all. And he thinks if he could if he could catch and train a Falcon. Okay. You know what I mean? He he'd start he'd be the guy showing up at a nightclub and everyone'd be like, Who's this hot guy? Because he'd have a falcon on his arm. I I got to do that. Where you have the leather glove and the falcon comes and takes the food no off you. It was a very cool feeling. You felt very In, uh, corner gas? No. Um 
we, my wife and I were just on vacation over in the UK, oh. and there was a place where you could go do that. A half an hour falconry with the guy, you know? Whoa, that's wow. cool. Big birds cool. are really cool. I mean, I, I, it feels wrong, but I would love to have a big bird. Have <laughs> you know, like a cockatoo or whatever it's called? Those big white guys? Oh. I mean, just walk around and make no mention of it. <laughs> oh, this thing? When people bring it up. Oh, yeah. yeah. That. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Are you guys ready for my draft yeah. disaster or stinky tweet? <laughs> right. So uh, this is based on reality, um, but I had some fun. I embellished reality. Um, here I go. <laughs> the park where I jog has erected a statue of me jogging in an attempt to discourage me from jogging. <laughs> <laughs> now, I There's recently took up to jogging. That. And I don't like jogging, and I don't look good while I jog. I think I look mad, and uh, <laughs> I look like I'm struggling. And I, I just thought maybe if they put up a statue of a, a, a man jogging poorly, it would convince me to stop jogging. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, Mike. Mike That's- did text me saying uh, that you hate jogging, that you just jogged and you hate it. I admit it. I don't care what uh, society says. I hate jogging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It seems very unnatural. If nothing's, uh, you know, nothing is chasing you, you're not chasing anything else. It seems like a very, I think there's part of you subconsciously that goes, what the hell are we doing? Yeah. And Mike, you, you don't know that you look bad when you jog. I bet you look oh, good. Uh, I, I know. I think. <laughs> I'm always like, I'm fascinated when you see people that are really good at it. They've obviously been doing it for years and years. Yeah. And like on the, you know, the Stanley Park seawall here in Vancouver, people go jogging by and they're barely, it sounds like they're barely touching the ground. It's like, they're so good at it. And I always say, anytime I run, it feels like the earth owes me money and I'm stomping it to to get payback, you know, for like, <laughs> like I'm mob muscle. I'm stomping the earth. It's just clong, clong. And every bone in my body is shaking. And these people just like, and they're often, they're like big guys, you know, six foot plus, And they're you can barely hear natural. them go by. Gentle feet. Oh, <laughs> you know, who? it always drives me nuts when um walking down the street and you see guys jogging shirtless and they're ripped, you know, it's like, you don't, you don't need to be shirtless. You could wear a tank top. It's like, I mean, I guess I'm just jealous, but come on. It's, a, it's like reverse body shaming. sort of. I yeah. saw a guy one time. I actually did tweet this out because I was in an airport one time and I saw a guy who, who I thought, for my money, he looked a lot like me facially. And he had the like, same kind of balding hair and glasses. He looked so much like me same height and general build except very little body fat he was really pumped and like so it was kind of like i got a window into what i would look like if i just hit the gym hard for three years and i was like yeah not worth it at all he doesn't look that much better than me he looks a bit yeah he looks a little bit better than me You should have tapped so, him on the shoulder and told him that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you don't look so much I knew better. If you hadn't done all that. <laughs> and I, it was like I the was opposite of the it. opposite of the old Freedom Fifty Five commercials. <laughs> you know, showing up, going, you didn't have to. Yeah. There's a lot of fuss and bother. You should have just. <laughs> oh boy. Um, mm. I, I will add that when I finish jogging, so I always I bring my keys with me and I tie them. To my gym shorts, so the keys are like inside of my gym shorts, bouncing near my genitals. And the end of my jog is me panting, sweating, hating the world. 
approaching my building and then I have to look around and then reach my hand down my shorts and then undo <laughs> the string to get the keys out. <laughs> so like it looks like you're just a big pervert. <laughs> <laughs> a panting pervert in a mask going like... Uh, uh, and shorts. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you, you got to get some other system. You got to get yeah, a what about crossbody pockets, bag or something, you know. Uh, I'll a think money about belt. It. <laughs> get a money belt. Yeah. Fanny pack. Oh, oh boy. Oh boy. I think you guys should consider uh changing the name of this segment to Stinky Tweets and also yeah. do like a musical bit to the tune of uh, Super Freak, but you do a Stinky Tweets. <laughs> oh, that's, that's my, good. If I was if I had the cojones to produce this show, that's what I would I like that. <laughs> stinky Tweets. Brent Brent, you've got the job if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> I know what people like. Trust me. Yeah, I know please. what people want. Make us as beloved across the country as you. We would love it. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Are you willing to cut your hair? <laughs> Dramatically. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Well, uh, Brent, we don't want to take up any more of your time, and we're so thankful uh, that you talked No, no, to don't us. go. It's been super fun. <laughs> No, it was my pleasure. Thanks for uh, yes. thanks for reaching out. Thanks so much for doing it, Brent. I've worked with both of you in uh, limited capacity, so and you're both you've both cracked me up, uh, on, and so I was happy to get on get on board. Well, I'm fans you. of you guys. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I mean, I don't have posters and stuff. I oh, okay. have a, well, a lunch we'll pail. We'll send some headshots over. Yeah. One, of your, one, of your, one of your lunch pails. If I could get one of the, <laughs> a lunch pail from one of you and uh, a T-shirt from the other, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah, done. It's in the mail. Um, and so I guess the, uh, season three of Corner Gas Animated is uh, premiering October 12th on CTV. Yeah. CTV is comedy. anything else you want? Oh, CTV comedy. Yeah. Uh, anything else you want to, uh, to promote? No, that's it. I got, you know, that's taking up the bulk of my time. If I, you know, if I knew my novel that I published, that I wrote was going to be published, I'd be plugging that. If you ever see a novel by, a, so I, the novel's called Huge, and it's tricky because my last name is Butt, and so you really have to worry about the placement of, <laughs> no, maybe you don't. Yeah. Maybe there's a whole other, you could get a lot of attention. Yeah. But no, I have nothing else to plug. Just that. Watch the, watch Corner Gas Animated. Uh, oh, you could go to my YouTube channel, which is just The Butt Pod, because I don't do much of my podcast anymore, but I started doing a lot of the YouTube videos. So The Butt Pod. Yep. A lot of fun on there. Okay. Well, uh, we will link to all of that in the episode show notes uh, so the listeners can uh, check it out all out. Thank you so much, Brent, and have a great evening. Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thanks, Brent. This podcast has been brought to you by The Sonar Network. Hello, my buds, my pals, my friends, hopefully some new friends. I'm Trisha Black, a queer East Coast comedian living in the big city of Toronto and the host of One More Round with Trisha Black. That's me, the podcast where I sit down and have a drink or two or three with a variety of guests, folks that I want to get to know, people that inspire me and friends who I just adore. It's kind of like an East Coast kitchen party, except if that kitchen were a studio and the conversation was the party. Brought to you by the Sonar Network. One more round with Trisha Black is available every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your sweet pods. So grab a drink and stick around for one more round. See what I did there?